2: Hello and welcome to the latest Royal Blue podcast as we look back on another Everton victory on the road. Uh, another Everton victory in London as well. Uh, delighted to be joined by two of our Everton reporters who were obviously there at Sellers Park for us on Saturday. Joe Thomas and Chris Beasley. Uh, Gav Buckland is also with us today. I know he weren't watching the game, but no doubt he was biting his fingernails like myself uh, back on Merseyside on Saturday before we we, we get stuck into what was a, a brilliant win, some brilliant scenes after the final whistle. Chris, just want to start off the pod with you and uh, talking about a bit something that happened on the train back from you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> little interaction, a bit of a yeah, a bit of a Joe
3: Thomas fan club it was. Um I yeah, uh, you know, the, the, the lunch we had all the, like all Evertonians going down there. The, the train high jinks and uh, our final train back to Liverpool being cancelled and then reinstated, and we were on there. And it was just before we were pulling in into the um, um, live Street. And Joe been up and down the carriage. It was very hot on there, and he'd gone to get some of the complimentary water. He'd gone missing for a while, but he'd come back. And some fella said to his mate, he goes, I told you that's Joe Thomas there from the Royal Blue Podcast. He goes, That's him again, Oh, I love it, Joe. Big fans of the show, you're great, blah, blah, blah. So Joe's like one step away from signing a few autographs or getting doing a selfie or something like that. And then his mate turns to us, he goes, Joe, when you see that Chris Beasley, he says, Tell him to stop writing, lowest points total in Everton's history. So um, <laughs> what it is, and, and I said to him at the time, I said in my defence, and I'll keep doing it, I think I threw one in yesterday. Well, I know I did. Um, I, I do it for a reason. I actually bought the lowest equivalent point, points total, as Gavin know Obviously, you've of switch from two to three points. And I do it to call the club out because it 135 years of Football League and Premier League football, in terms of performance on the pitch, that was Everton's worst season Ever in terms of their performance, including the two times have been down, um, 1930 and 1951. And we can't lose track of that, we, we, can, we can't let them off the hook for that. In, the, in, in my book, I mean, that was awful. That Evertonians like that, our friend there, and, and it was uh, Tony Tony the Blue. So, shout out for him. He, he says, Oh, it kills me, Chris. He goes, It kills me every time you write that. I don't do it to upset Evertonians, I do it because I think there's a duty there that we need to remember just how bad that was and for people like Tony traveling the length and breadth of the country, you know, spending their harder cash going down to Crystal Palace here, there and everywhere. I think that the um, club needs to be called out on that. But I also said, you know, onwards and upwards. And um, also, like I said, the further consecutive victory in London. So hopefully there are better times ahead for, for Tony and all of the blues.
2: Well, shout out for Tony. Thanks for listening.
0: And I just to make that clear, Tony, thank you for listening. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think you were going to get a bollock. <laughs> like, we really appreciate uh to everybody
2: listening. did run, Joe. I did that one out. <laughs> and Joe, do remember us when you go even more famous. Uh, but no no doubt, uh, Tony on the train, the other blues on the train would have enjoyed uh, reading your match. Uh, that I was lucky enough to be the one... Uh, Processing uploading to to the website. I thought it, it captured the mood really, really well. And I know Hugh and Chris and the other Evertonians didn't have the best of times in terms of the trains on on Saturday, but you you, you must have really enjoyed doing that. Both you must have enjoyed watching watching those scenes and watching the performance
0: in the win. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, the, the train situation made it very difficult for for everybody that was using that mode of transport to get to and from Selhurst Park. Uh, you're yeah, probably about as far as you can do on the trains in a day for the London fixtures um, and and still make it back on time, providing the, the rail um, situation is, is okay, but, you know, just before we, we got on the train, amidst all the, you know, the, the chaos and the confusion on the platforms, you remember being in Houston and just hearing Evan singing, and, and it just being nice, and you just think, you know, I've been doing this job for a year and a half, and obviously, you know, Chris, much longer, and the amount of away days, uh, you're know, just desolate away days where you you're you embarking on long journeys back either in the car or on public transport. Just sat there thinking, yeah, that's another away in that's sold out, and it's a cost of living crisis, and they've been treated to that dross. Um, and you just fell for them. You, you know, obviously hard for us, but yeah, you know, they're they're the ones doing the hard work and paying the real money to go down there and do that. And it just all of a sudden it just feels you know a complete world away. You know, I mean that's 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 three consecutive wins in, in London. And it's a testament to what Sean Deitch is doing. And I know that we spent a lot of time over the course of this season so far trying to work out whether progress is being made and and, you know, the fragility and the sustainability of the progress. And I think that what we saw on Saturday was more tangible evidence that real progress is being made. And of course, you know, it's tentative. you know, of course you can't get ahead of ourselves. We know that you know things can go we've seen the last few years that, that things can very quickly go wrong Um and I think there's also probably a justified legitimate sense among the Evans support base and probably from within the club that even when things are going right within the club somebody from out externally will try and, and, and put a you know put a pole between the spokes and, and we know that we've got takeover we know that we've got uh the the financial fair play hearing and, and things like that. So there are plenty of other opportunities for people to try and stymie the momentum, but it's very clear, I think, and, and I think this you know this this, this result perhaps would have result more than the performance, um, because I don't think it was actually Evan's best performance um, you know in, in, in the last few weeks, but um that in itself assessment of the progress being made because all of a sudden there's a side that doesn't have to have everything go right on the pitch to come away with three points but you know it's real evidence of progress being made and i think that's something that we can all enjoy and savour over the coming fortnight
2: for a long time i think most most blues didn't expect to get anything on our travels but well, as joe said in his reading said there i think we've won in west london east london south london so Tottenham and the watch out later this season uh but uh, i I know yeah there's this this things as we 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 mentioned on this podcast so many times that there's obviously things going on in, in the background against the backdrop mm. but but we, it's right to enjoy this, isn't it because this isn't been usual in recent years going away and winning from home with, with such regularity and do you understand that kind of scenes of joy that you've seen in the dugouts on
1: the pitch after the game in the stands? I think I didn't understand scenes season, scenes of joy after any victory. To be honest with you, home or away, really, and, and that goes for any club, but especially for Evan, as Joe said, because of all the all the the the, the bad stuff on and off the pitch over the last couple of years. And, and I think, you know, that's it's fully justifiable. And and I do I do get what Joe, Joe's saying is that I mean I I didn't see the game, but I've, I've only read reports and I'm seen the highlights. Is it's a testimony to the, the character of the team that we managed to drag out a victory without really individually and as, as a team playing, you know, as well as perhaps they have done on a few few other occasions this season. And I, th- I think that f- supporters always, always a look at that as well. I think they, they know when a team's been under the caution and has he'd out to win. And you can't beat a late winner, can you? <laughs> the day. I mean, I think celebrations are always great at the end when there's been a late winner. And also as well the testimony to the character for the fact that the you know Palace at home came back twice, as well. So it all it all makes a difference, doesn't it? And I think we had that was it two or three wins in thirty odd away matches. and We've had like three, three, three on the spin or whatever. And that's just uh that's great stuff. And I don't think we'll be getting our lowest equivalent points total. I think uh, this season, hopefully, <laughs> I think we've got enough. What have you got now? Was it fourteen? Yeah, fourteen from whatever. Would hope that we've got. There's a, a lot more in the bank, from where that's come from. Chris,
2: some one of the pieces you did on the Echo's website yesterday, you referenced uh, a certain previous trip to Sellers Park, mm. an FA Cup tie, and after after the uh, after the game, Frank Lampard turned the air blue a little bit. He it was like Joe, wasn't yeah. he? <laughs> <laughs> he? He accused them uh, of Everton of lacking something. Uh, that certainly, you look at across the the course of this season after a, a summer. That's given Sean Dyke a real chance to work with this squad. Yeah. Looking back, apart from the Aston Villa game, where it did feel like everything that could go wrong did go wrong. And even as bad as we were that day, you look, Villa more or less scored every shot they had on target. Yeah. There's not been a collapse, as there? Which, no. you know, in recent years, has been an, an all-too-regular occurrence. And there, there were times, I think it's, it's fair to say, when Palace certainly got level at 2-2. That in the past you would have expect Palace to go on and win that game, but Everton do have that that resilience now. Yeah, definitely. Like the like the other panelists have said, that's a big part of the uh, the
3: satisfaction for this and for Sean Dyche as well as the Evertonians. He referenced that in his post match um, press conference. You know, finding those different ways to win Premier League games, which he says, you know, unless you're one of those elite, the money elite. Um, Everyone's got to do that. You you can't play in one certain way or be one dimensional in that respect. You've got to, and he, he also talks about the this idea of um, luck over a season, the fortune. You know, it doesn't always work out like that. But in those moments earlier in the season, wherever in particular at home, had played very well, but then what does Dyke say? Unfathomable. The fact that they they didn't um, get anything from those first three um, home games when they when they were beaten, whereas. He thinks that um, the fact that they can go to Palace, like you say, and being, being pegged back twice. And yeah, you know, Palace, I mean, I said that in my piece or whatever you think, do a few strange things at Crystal Palace, but in fair play to them, um, as a club, I think they've got the best set of fans in London, personally, I think, in terms of the way they get behind the team. And, you know, you, you know, pull back again, the mistake by James Tarkovsky had been magnificent otherwise, but, you know, that one breakdown in communications, that was all set up for... You know, Palace to go on and win that. So the fact that Everton were able to weather the storm and then go on and get the win of themselves, it's testament to to the progress. I think genuine progress being made under Sean Dyche. And what is still a relatively short space of time. And um, obviously did that in that same piece. I was saying that I, you know the owners as well as the fans need to uh, to take that on board because I mean, too often. I mean, we, obviously, Bournemouth have got a great result at the weekend against Newcastle United, and we we saw um, the Newcastle players sort of. Um, having exchanges with their fans as similar as Joe pointed out to me that we'd seen with Everton at, at the Vitality Stadium last year but um, in terms of uh, uh, appointments and you know uh, the fact that Bournemouth made that controversial change when their American owner took got rid of Gary O'Neill in, in, in the summer who also had a, actually a great result didn't he against Tottenham at the weekend but yeah, you got to be careful here. That um, I think that Everton are on to a winner with Sean Dyche, and you know after eight managers in seven years, I know he's not everyone's cup of tea, and he said himself he's a marmite manager, and that he uh, he divides opinion. But I think he's just the right fit for Everton right now.
2: Joe, did Sean Dyche? He doesn't give much away, does he? In press conference, I think it's fair to say, but you know. He was quite he was quite expansive in his praise, you know, of some plays in particular. He doesn't usually pick out plays praise, but he certainly did with the match when who will come on to as just a guy. Picked up a pie in the post post match yeah. press conference to celebrate on the home way. Compared, to, was he any different after that one? Did he did it look like he enjoyed it even more? Given the fact that it was a late winner, given the fact we're going into the international break in such good form,
0: it's quite interesting because where we are in the the press box in in Sellers Park, you know, have the best view. Um, you at the back of the set. It's very much a letterbox view uh, in an old school stadium. We had a pillar right in front of me, but one thing that we do get some grounds is we get we get a monitor which is you know, show your live footage of the camera footage and one of the things that i found quite interesting was yeah, you know, five minutes ago after yeah you know, after evan obviously had the lead um the camera picked up sean dyche i don't know if this was shown it probably wasn't showing on match there or anything else like, like, like that but um he was in the dugout and, and he actually looked nervous like he actually looked a little bit apprehensive and it was the first time i'd really seen him look like that uh, in an Evan dugout, and I think that probably gives us a sense of he probably realised that he was on the cusp of taking a, a bigger leap forward than than perhaps he than perhaps just the result in isolation w- w- would look um, you know it was a result that had meaning, had real meaning to it and depth to it because of what has gone on before it, you know we, we spoke last week a lot about the wider context and how given the recent form and the points that have been picked up and the manner in which they've been accumulated, you could probably say that even a defeat, as long as it wasn't an embarrassing defeat at Crystal Palace, still wouldn't have, still wouldn't have undermined claims of progress there. To have gone there and to have actually got a win, you know, kind of almost, it, it just takes that evidence of there being a real step forward even further. And I think that he almost kind of, had a sense of 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 the uh, the magnitude of what that victory would be. Because obviously, and, and you you see it in in everything. You see it in 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 the, the country's perception of Everton. When you look at Matchday and you listen to other podcasts, things like that. The way in the change in which people are now talking about Everton compared to how they were, say, four weeks ago, just after Luton, when it was a very very different narrative. And although Sean Dyche was saying everything that he was saying then. And has continued to say, and see, so, you know, the, the results will eventually come because the performances have always been there. Uh, and I think that he can feel vindicated in that. And, you know, you're right, he doesn't give a huge amount away in press conferences. It's It can be difficult, obviously. You're trying to get an understanding of what's going on. And the reality is, he doesn't really tell you anything about what's going on in the dressing room. And, you know, he quite often finds, you know, he's innovative and finding new ways to. to to, to deflect and and, and someone in my job that can be that can be very difficult and very frustrating but obviously also I have to acknowledge it's completely understandable because you know you want to if you're in Dyche position particularly if you're in the position you know Chris has already alluded to where you're at a club where if we're being perfectly honest things have been chaotic over you know a sustained period of time and the pressure has been immense on on that dressing room, and, and they have been dealing with circumstances that, you know, many of which are outside their control. You can understand why you'd want to protect the secrets and the sanctity of what goes on there. So, you know, I fully understand that. And obviously, that's a a, you know, a battle that we have to play out every week. It you know it, it, it could often be be a little bit awkward, but I think I think there was a bit of a change in him. Um, the second time I think I've noticed it this season, because I thought there was a change in him. During the international break, the first one. um, So, from after the defeat to. uh, So, after the draw to Sheffield United, then coming back a fortnight later and playing Arsenal, where I think the the events at the start of the season, and then when you added on the final day of the transfer window and losing Alex Awobi in particular, and then you had the whole um, fracas over Damari Gray and the would he stay, wouldn't he stay, where it looked like the club would try to had word on the base that they could reintegrate into the side but then given his comments and what happened they, they eventually uh, were in a position where they probably had to sell him to Saudi Arabia it felt like at that point with the results the way they had gone that for the first time he was almost starting to kind of be a little bit unsteady or realise that you know what I perhaps need to take more people with me on this journey um, and then I think this is probably the second change notice in him where he's probably had his own beliefs vindicated a little bit and, and as a result of that you know he I'm not sure. I don't think we'll see him open up anymore, um, but he might kind of provide a little bit more. He might be a little bit more magnanimous in in, in who he's praising, and it might be go away from the generic to the bit more particular because he knows that if he picks out certain players, he's operating from a base where everyone who knows that they're not getting mentioned, well, the results and performances are there. So then, yeah, you know, they know there's a base level of seven out of ten, and he's picking out the eight and nines. Whereas if he was doing it six weeks ago. And picking out individuals, given the results, it might be that everyone was, everyone didn't get mentioned. We're thinking, well, I'm a four or five out of ten, and, and these are the sevens. So that shows how far they have come. Definitely, Gavin. What have you made of uh,
1: Sean Dyche's manager for Everton? How long have you got? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, I think I think first of all, we've got to acknowledge he's been managing in an extraordinarily difficult circumstances, both on and off the pitch. So we don't want to talk about all the stuff off the pitch that's been done ad infinitum um, on the pitch, I think he's had, had the difficulties as a consequence of that because there's been very no money spent. Well, not even really no money spent. He's had to shed players, hasn't he? You know, you've just spoken about players like Damari Gray and a Wolverine who's gone. Jordan, you know, Jordan this well, this season, I suppose. Um, so I think when you're judging his performances, you've got to bear that in mind. That he, yeah, and he's coming into a club who's had, what I'm saying eight managers or whatever it is, in, in seven years. So um, he's, he's, he's entered the club in a state of flux, a state of, well, crisis really, you would say. Um, morale was low and the pressure was on to, to remain in the Premier League, which for Everton was probably more important than, than anybody else because of the stadium for a start and also the financial well being of the club. And and so I suppose uh, that's what you've got to say first of all. When you judge performance, you got to say that. And although I felt that um, I, did, I think he did okay last year, got us over the line just about. I don't. I wasn't totally convinced that what I saw last season. You could say, yeah, we can take that into take that into next season, and we'll be okay. Um, and especially the knowing the fact that actually like, we weren't going to centre Jordan during the summer. So that was the what I say about last season. About this season, I, I think that I can only say what a lot of people have said that early games probably a little bit unlucky not to get more points than what we did but we still lost didn't we we still had what no wins in the first five or six games and, and at, at a time when I mean okay the top the bottom three didn't look great we're still down there but what what he's shown I think is he's kept to his beliefs on how he wants to play the game and he's, he's drilled the players he's drilled that the players to do that um and that's finally bearing fruit. I think. I think he was spoke speaking about. It. I didn't hear the, the full being sports interview, but that thing about understanding how he wants to play and how Daly Ali understood how he wants to play. You get the players like that now, and he's he, the, the, what he's got now is a first eleven who know their roles. who've got good partnerships on on the pitch, which is always important, and they they know exactly what they've got to do, and and that's testimony, I think, to the manager you know, and, and the coaching staff. And um I though you be judging him over over about ten months or so, whatever he's been there now, I think in truth, you probably the, the best point to judge him is the last nine games, isn't it really? Where he's had he's finally had the settled team and, and, and it helps when you've got players like Brantweet who's coming in who's look good, that he's you know, an honest look good, he's had DC back to fitness, which Dice should take a lot of credit within that. And, and he's getting the results, and, and it's a team that we don't look like conceding a lot of goals, although we did concede, so that was a penalty on, on Saturday. But we've defensively been pretty sound, and we've got an attack on threat, especially away from home. We've scored a shed load of goals from the Daesh, haven't we? I mean, I'll have to do this, but I think if goals pair away game by ever manager, they should be a run right up the top because, I mean, you scored that, which you would never expect. So I'd say, in terms of marking them, I'd, I'd have to give him seven on, on ten, but maybe more eight on ten the last nine games and six on ten beforehand. But our problem is it's going to be, as we've spoken about on the pod many times, is, as I said, a good first 11 that he, he's content with. Once we get below that, that's when the, the issue starts, doesn't it? And that might uh, might become a problem for us before, before Christmas because the amount of games. And we're still in the Carabao Cup as well, which is, glad to him for that. As Gav
2: said there, Chris, uh, competition for places beyond probably twelve, thirteen, fourteen players at best. It is still it's still pretty small Premier League squad and top quality compared to other teams. But I suppose one person who maybe not being in the team it's, it's bringing the best out of him was the match winner on Saturday, or just a uh, just a guy. I know you were surprised. Uh, I think your initial paragraph and your <laughs> initial analysis where did that come from? And I think we were all very much the same, but I thought he was excellent against Brighton when he came in uh, the week before and probably slightly unfortunate to lose his place uh, but he responded brilliantly and as you say uh, I've never I've never known Deitch probably in his Everton or his, his Burnley time to give out the plaudits as, as much as he did for, for, for one play but he deserved it didn't he I thought he did really well when he came on and his, his goal was magnificent yeah well you we all know what Adrissa Gay is supposedly good at
3: and he's very good at the things that he is good at and he's providing that Shield in front the, of the back four, fighting those fires there um, and um, sort of building from there. What he's not known for is either necessarily his, his distribution or his finishing, and uh, especially second time around when he's older. He's 34 years of age now. But in between all of that, his two spells at Everton, of course, he had um, the time at Paris Saint Germain, and it was almost like he. Um, channeled Lionel Messi, Neymar, uh, <laughs> and and uh, Mbappe <laughs> into one for that one, especially with the, the left foot finish. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know if I'd ever imagine a, a time when I'd see like a just gay finish like that on his left, or come to think of it, Vitali Mikhailenko having to go on his right, and, or even a, a header the way that he finished um, that that early goal with. But yeah, it just shows he has got that in his in his locker, and that and that's what again what we're saying: don't be so predictable and. Uh, Deitch keeps saying he, he can see it in moments with these players just how good they are and maybe we are seeing that something that maybe for a long time was confined to you know low pressure environment at Finch Farm when they're just training and we're actually seeing it um, as we're saying that phrase that was said before bearing fruit in, in, in matches now the fact that he's got the confidence to match the ability and uh, play that one two with Decore who again as Deitch says was Johnny on the spot for the second goal how many goals has he got certainly since, since Sean Deitch came in and uh yeah, it was. It was incredible and again with the attitude because I mean, maybe he could have sulked. I mean, there he is, as a senior player. He came back in, and then after one game, an Arna comes back and he's back on the bench. But rather than that, he's gone out there and shown his manager and shown us all what he's capable of. And even if it was something we we didn't realize before that he was capable of. So yeah, hats off to him. And then after seeing a couple of weeks when we were back in action, there's a, there's another decision for the managers to make. But yeah, there is concern that beyond. That um, initial pool of of players, certainly if the game's come thick and fast in December, I suppose that'd be the acid t- test in terms of what we've got in
2: terms of strength of death for Sean Deitch. Joe, uh, one of my favourite moments after the match when I got to watch the highlights was when there's just a guy who was uh, getting pushed towards the away end, wasn't he, by Anana and Danju. A uh, really nice moment. He was almost like a reluctant hero, wasn't he? Yeah. Uh, but before he spoke volumes about, obviously, the team spirits there. And can't help but uh, kind of the parallels from a year ago, going into what was a prolonged November international break, because obviously the World Cup on the back of those two defeats at Bournemouth and uh, not the nicest scenes whilst there between the players in the away and Certainly after that second game, does feel like we've we've come a fair distance in in that year. You know, there's been there's been ups and downs along the way, but it it, it does it feel a, a bit of a different club on the field at least. I think so.
0: Yeah, I think so. I mean, I I still think that. I still think that people are overly critical as to where Everton were this time a year ago um, with the benefit of hindsight because I think that as bad as that, and it really was a terrible week when they they were awful against Leicester um, on bonfire night and they had those two appalling performances in Bournemouth. It, you know, it, it was very, very bad. But I do think that people, it's easy to forget that Going into that evening, bonfire evening game against Leicester, Evan were on a reasonably decent run of form. Uh, and a win against Leicester would have taken them into the top half of the table. And, and that was the conversation that was taking place that week that, you know, Evan, they'd had that fantastic win against Crystal Palace. Um, the 3-0 the win, which was very much the high point, I think, of of Lampard's tenure in terms of it felt like they were on the cusp of progress. Um, and then they have gone and got a, a useful point at what was a, a dangerous Fulham side at that time um, with Mitrovic and, and Willian firing. And, you know, they they'd played all right at Craven Cottage. And, and I, we do these round-ups every now and then, you know, because I think that there are occasions where I, I have every right to feel aggrieved about refereeing decisions against them. And in that game, Mitrovic really should have got sent off for his tackle and Idrissa Gay quite early in the first half. So I, 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 I do think that at the time, um, this time last year, that there was something potentially there to be a build on, but it was probably a little bit more fragile. You know, at that point, you probably had the Lampard, Tarkovsky, Cody, that kind of dynamic. Um, but it probably wasn't felt all the way through the team. And the resilience of that probably wasn't there either. Um, you know, it wasn't built on strong foundations. And we saw that by how quickly everything un- unravelled, including at that Bournemouth game. And, you know, Coming home on, on, on Saturday evening and look at those scenes at, uh, at Bournemouth. It just, you know, what is it about teams, you know, trying to get on an upward trajectory going to the, the Vitality Stadium in mid November and, and, and you know, having their dreams pulled apart? So, um, but this one, it, it does feel that the, the problem with Lampard was he had that big win against Palace and never really built on it. They had the draw at Fulham and then it just went downhill from there. Uh, wrote in a match report couple of weeks ago how very similar the win over Bournemouth felt to that Crystal Palace moment which was almost a year earlier and I think the difference that we've seen here is that Everton have unequivocally built on a moment that could have been a one-off but feels like an inflection point in the season now um, and it really does feel that case cause you look at the he had Bournemouth, he had the international break, and you look at the way in which this side is built upon that, you you go Liverpool the only game they've lost is Liverpool away. Um and nil nil sixty five minutes in, half an hour, ten men, Ibrahim McConnell gets sent off. I I think there's every chance they haven't taken at least a point from that game. Alright, they might not have done. Liverpool are a very talented side, but they deserved the opportunity to fight that last uh, thirty minutes um on an even keel and it was taken away from them. Yeah, that could easily have you know, led to a bit of a meltdown or something, it, it didn't they went to West Ham, they won, they played Brighton only only conceded the, the win on that because of a very cruel, very unfortunate, very late goal then they've had this win as well in between that obviously they've had the Carabao Cup victory as well and they have a very good opportunity to get to through to a semi-final of a major tournament where there's a 1-3 chance, they will face non-Premier League opposition so what they've done differently compared to last season is they built on that. And I think yeah you know, that probably suggests that the foundations that Deitch built in the early part of this season or since the summer were far stronger than those that Lampard built on um, at the beginning of, 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 of last season. Yeah, you know, There is one one significant difference. And whilst Deitch does deserve to take credit for his patience in relation to Dominic Alva-Lewin, Dominic Calvillo is a game changer in this side and in this squad, and I think that if 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 Dominic Calvillo had had been fit for ten consecutive games under Lampard and you know he shall not be named before him uh, on on this podcast, <laughs> and then then those two seasons may well have turned out a fair bit differently. But it's very clear, I think, that you know, Evan have have, have have probably turned they probably turned things around. They turned the page, I think. Deitch has been very, very, very um, significant factor in that. Um, and then I think that you, know, in terms of that dress room, it's very, very clear that at the moment there is a strong clique. A strong, there's, a, there's a clique and they have a very strong relationship. And at the minute, they're pulling the club in a positive direction. And, and that's that Amadou Anana, Adris, Gay, Abdullah Kore, and albeit, obviously, bit part players on the pitch at the minute. But it's very clear from the scenes that we've seen there and previously, that Arna Danjuma is also included in that, and I think Yusuf Chemiti is as well. Um, and at the minute, you know, they seem to be at the heart of a lot of what's very good about this Everton side. Um, and hopefully, they'll you know, they'll take things forward. Obviously, Abdoulaye Diouf signed a new contract, so we you know we know that he's committed for the foreseeable future. And we've seen with Chamiti you know, increasing involvement in the first team. Obviously, played for the under 21s and, and got a goal at Mansfield recently. And the way in which Adrisse Gay has managed to, the way in which Adrisse Gay and Amadou Anana have both managed to kind of overcome a tricky period about four weeks ago, where it looked like one of them was going to get dropped or they're both getting dropped or in danger of running out of favour. They've they both had, pe- you know, Amadou Anana was dropped obviously for the Bournemouth game and then came back came back in at the very last minute because of Adrisse Gay's injury, and Adrisse has been sidelined since then. But has come back and did what he did on on Saturday as well. So you know, it's 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 clear that to use a you know, one of the main Deitchisms, that you know all the noses are pointing in the right direction, um, or at least a substantial amount of them are. And I think that you know it's 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 clear that the strong there is a stronger. I, I think everyone are in a much better position than they were this time last November. Um, I don't think they're in as as bad a position this November as so it's perhaps you know we perhaps now look back on because we know what came after. But I think the difference is because we know what came after and because we know the way in which this side is built on recent good results that it's very clear that the foundations were a a lot stronger and obviously those at the club are responsible for that. Deitch, Falwell and others, you know, they do deserve credit and there is also a reason for hope going forward that after this international break it's not just going to be a, a momentum stunter and you know, there is reason to have belief going into that really tricky December. Yeah.
2: It's great points. Probably all getting giddy after another away win. Probably me, in <laughs> particular. <laughs> because I think I have seen uh, the table from a year ago on Twitter. Don't quote me verbatim, but I'm pretty sure Everton had a similar amount of points now as they did back then. But the big difference is there's probably three or four teams below us, and it was all very similar. And it it does help that usually this season, doesn't it? Gav, like you know, we're the ones pulling ourselves away from the bottom three at the moment. But it just feels different in the last couple of seasons because it feels like there's going to be three, maybe four teams who just aren't going to get thirty points plus at this
1: rate. Yeah, I mean that that, that was a, that was always sort of um, the biggest influence on our destiny this year it was not necessarily our performance, the performance of people below us, and, and that's what you know come to, to fruition, hasn't it? Really, um, I'm, I don't think we're looking at a, a, I going to really self out on the limit. Don't, I don't think we're going to be in a relegation battle this season. Um, which is i think that's just what i get I the impression that's just what we wanted as a club yeah, just absolutely. whatever you do yeah. we just don't want to be at any point give maybe could go down and i think that's what are we nine points had now or something like that yeah so we're now um we're now looking at mit- medieval mediocrity aren't we um but no but that will be progress that's a, that's a tremendous amount of progress. Um, and as Joe said, I though we got a similar point, Sally, to last year, we still had the same points in the middle of January we? you know, <laughs> I know true, we yeah. had six weeks for <laughs> November, but you know, that was the problem, wasn't it? We come back after Christmas, then lost four or five on on the swim, wasn't it? And we're not the FA Cup. So yeah, I mean you can you can look back, I think I think the difference between now and November twenty twenty two and November twenty twenty one when Benisa's there, that was when it really started going on with Benicio's, is the manager has got a settled team Going back to what I said before, a settled team who all know the roles, who know understand each other's roles, um and know how they want Dice to play. You've got Dice knows how he wants to play and there's a direction there, I think, that wasn't necessarily here twelve months ago and twenty four months ago, and that's the big difference. So that's why I'm saying I think we expect us not to be involved in navigation scrap and that I still expect us to pick up, you know, points. When we're expected to, at least over over the rest of the season, which has not necessarily been the case in the in the last couple of campaigns, albeit with the with the the caveat that that is dependent on lots of stuff like you know keeping the players fit, um, or the judgments elsewhere of other, that you know have got to be you've got to be taken into account here. Though I'm not saying that relegation is a possibility. If we get a 12 point deduction, imagine that could still be okay. Um. You know, so there's a lot of still a lot lot of another dice of no, noise, isn't it, around there? But I am I'm I'm pretty far more confident than what I was twelve months ago and two years ago because as you've seen, manager's got a set of team knowing who know how to the roles and how to play. Well, we
2: kinda of finish off with kinda of like a round up of the first third of the season that's we're through now, aren't we, Chris? My my concern at the start of the year, that we were always below par because we were probably seven and nine points down from those first three home games. Do you think we're still below par? Or we still should be higher up? Or do you think these away kind of wins have kind of got us to where we, we need to be on, in the table in terms of points?
3: We probably still are then, um, below par because, like you said, <laughs> I remember as saying at the time, I don't know if it was... And a bit of sunstroke from that um, all that sunshine out in Switzerland when uh, I made my ball prediction and how many points have been after, after the first. Uh, no, but yeah, they had a, what on paper is always the trouble, isn't it? A, a favourable set of fixtures and the fact that they did poorly from those, albeit as I just said and as we've said, played well but just couldn't convert the chances. That sort of had them on the back foot. So they, I would say, they probably are a little bit below par, but you can see with the table they're, st- you know, they're not cut adrift, there's still only like a, a couple of resu- decent results away from breaking into proper mid table and they'll be much closer to that part of the table than the, the, the teams in the relegation zone, but um, I think the difference is we can see that progress since yes it was a disappointing start, they didn't pick up as many points as they should have done and probably would have been expected to from those first lot of fixtures, but they've progressed since then and they've kicked on since then both in terms of the the uh, the, the results and uh, the performances, albeit not a vintage performance on Saturday, but in many ways that makes it all that, that sweeter that the fact that they weren't great, but they, they, they still got the results. So yeah, that would be my verdict. Yeah, still probably a little bit below par, but because of the progress that's been made after a disappointing
0: start, that that's what gives you encouragement. Joe, 12 games in? Yeah, I mean, I'd probably echo a lot of what Chris is saying. I think they're on about par right now. Um, I think that, you know, for all the the, joy, the and understandable joy and surprise you take from wins at, away at Palace and and West Ham and Brentford, those are the nine points that they should have got at home to Luton Wolves and, and Fulham. Um, but the the difference is and the the reason I think that we can all take a bit of positivity from is is the trajectory. They had the bad start and they've put it right. They've corrected it and now that they're they, they're catching up on themselves. We should be if It's a far different story. I think it'd be a far different moment if they'd got the points early and then you know, gone through, say, for instance, this last set of fixtures between international breaks. They could very easily have lost every one of them. They could very easily have played very well and lost lost every one of them, and then you'd be you know, in, in a different place psychologically. I think so. So I think I think they're they're at par. I don't think they're ahead of themselves, but I think that. You know the manner in which they've accumulated those points, um, and the manner in which the performances have got better and better, and the team's got stronger and stronger. Because obviously there's a degree of 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 change and, and and flux at the beginning of the season because the transfer window was still open. Um, I think it's it's almost um, par points tally, but an above par, um, almost a, a mentality, yeah, you know, psychology. Now, you know, I, I think the optimism is above where the points tally actually is. And I think that it's justified um, that that's the case. And, yeah, you know, the the other bonus is is obviously, you know, as, as just alluded to the fact that there are, you know, arguably four, but certainly three teams that are making a, a very, very bad job at trying to stay in the Premier League this season. I think that's that's a huge, huge bonus for Everton. And I think the reality is that, you know, whilst there might be a little bit of reluctance to say they're definitely um, not in a relegation fight this season, I think the reality is that, it's only external factors that will drag them into that. I think that so so long as Deitch and the 7th squad remain in control of their own destiny, they'll be fine and it would probably take a combination of, 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 of bad fortune to drag everything into a problem. It would be a point deduction and an injury to a significant player or something along those lines that even that would... And then even then, you would still probably need at least one of those three clubs to, to really, really sort themselves out in a way in which they don't look capable of at, at this present moment in time before having got anywhere near trouble. And I think that's crucial because I think that you know, the aim of the club this season is to avoid trouble. And we, we all know that we, we've spoken about it here before, but next summer there's going to be a huge amount of change in the squad or there's an opportunity for a huge amount of change in the squad because how many players are out of contract coming? Already a small squad, a you know, fair few more that, that on the current trajectory would be would be leaving in the summer. And you know we don't know how things are going to go on with the takeover, but I think the, the chances of Everton wherever Everton are next summer, I, I don't think they'll have a huge amount of money to spend. So you look at how they can try and set themselves best up for, for next season and and the best advantage they can give themselves is time, is give Kevin Farwell and, and Sean Deitch, you know, six, seven, eight games before the end of this season, knowing that Everton are going to be in the Premier League so they can start properly planning and don't have to have contingency plans uh, for championship football like they have in the last season. I think that would be crucial. I think that has to be the main target because... I do think that what we're looking at in the championship this season is probably three very strong sides coming up. Probably Leicester, and then may well be you know Le- Leeds and Southampton may well be among them. Obviously, strong Premier League pedigree, remnants of a squad that was competitive with Everton's last season, and with the momentum of having come up and perhaps sorted some of their own issues out. You know, I think it'll be more important than ever that Everton get a good head start on the transfer window, uh, an opportunity to plan, not just because of their finances, because of who's coming up. Because I don't think that the Premier League will be anywhere near as weak next season as it is this season, um, but clearly, Everton are on a positive trajectory, and hopefully, whilst as I say they're on a, a par performance right now, hopefully for the over the next six months they can build on that and leapfrog over you know the likes of Forest and maybe a couple of other mid-table sides, so that they can really put some you know get a head start and put some distance between themselves and a relegation fight next season, and then that will be sustainable progress and carry on building, and that's what we all want to see. Just finish with with you, Gav. I
2: suppose we've got this two-week break to, to bask in this brilliant run that the, the team have been on and enjoy <laughs> it. Not so, that yeah. many times over the last few years. <laughs> enjoy <laughs> yeah. it. Because yeah. when it returns, it's it's going to get busy very yeah. quickly, isn't it? I think we've all looked at December since the fixtures have come out and it, it, it looks pretty daunting. And, and as Joe has alluded to there, without saying for certain, you'd imagine something will have come from the Premier League by the end of this run, I think we get like a two-week break in January, don't we? I think the winter break's back. It feels like by the time we're kind of doing this kind of review podcast again at the end of another break, it, we'll really know where the, the club is on and on and off the field. It feels like we're going to be in for a couple of weeks break here and then are really busy.
1: Yeah, and, and the ownership issue is also massive air, isn't it? Because if that doesn't play out, right, then you may have a position where you might have to sell in January yeah. to, to raise money. So... Yeah, that's got to play out. But, yeah, I think, um, for, for me, going back on the points that have been raised, you know what I think it's massive? We're still in the Carabao Cup. I just think that gives everybody a lift round the club, doesn't it? Yeah. You know, which we've not had a position, I think, probably since Mar- at the Masters Mar- last season, where we've had a... We're still, still in there. And that that gives, some, it gives people hope, doesn't it? Something to look forward to, increases morale. And we've had, like, a decent draw. And then, as Joe said, there's a chance that actually we might have another decent draw in the in the semi-final before you know it, you're up Wembley, and anything that can happen. So, I, in as well. yeah, absolutely, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Oh, you know, where it's, is Wembley. Not yeah, sure. yeah. No. <laughs> so there you go. That, <laughs> as much as you can poo-poo the Carabao Cup, is one of the things people say is what it does. It gives people hope and keeps them hope that you're still in there, and that's that, that's. That's, I think that's made a massive difference to us. And it makes it look good, doesn't it? We've got six wins out of nine, two of them in the cup. But you know what I mean? But it looks a good it's still a good start, isn't it? And and I think between now and Christmas, okay, we've got a few, we've got I don't know we've got City, we've got United, we've got Spurs, but we've got Forest, have we? have got Burnley. Um we've got Wolves, I think on. Tree, yeah, you know, so there's, there's okay, I know we've got some difficult games. There's still three games there that actually we can. You'd say what you've seen so far this season, we can win mm-hmm. all three, uh, especially if you move them to London, I suppose. <laughs> like, yeah, play when you're to a neutral venue. So, and, and also, when what you're seeing, there's nothing to fear. Like, Man United in two weeks, you know, that's that's a winnable game. So, I know I've been saying for a while, haven't I? Think, oh, December, you want to look at a game? Oh, some difficult ones there which there are there's some minimal ones there and there's some where we might be able to get an unexpected result but i think it comes back down to what we're saying is everybody needs to be fit don't they i think if we lose two or three players for whatever reason and there's a couple on four yellows as well isn't it um that, that that that's going to stymie us a little bit but confidence breeds confidence doesn't it and six wins out to nine you'll be you'll be you'll be flying wouldn't you into the United game, I think the 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 starting eleven and the and the coaching staff
2: definitely. And on that high points, I think it's a good time there uh, to close. Thanks very much for listening, those on trains, planes, cars, or at home. Uh, we do appreciate it, and uh, hopefully Chris this week doesn't have to jog out that stats. <laughs> <We'll>, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, thanks very much for listening. Hope you enjoyed. the podcast You've been listening to the Royal Blue podcast for the Liverpool Echo.